0: Welcome to Thinking Reimagined.
1: Thinking Reimagined is a unique platform for thoughts-provoking intergenerational dialogue
0: in a diverse and inclusive setting with a focus on impactful change
1: in the global workplace and community.
0: Our stakeholders' conversations aim to spark thought, leadership, curiosity,
1: engagement,
0: collaboration and learning
1: amongst individuals, teams and beyond. Enjoy Enjoy this episode. episode.
0: And subscribe to Think and Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and other outlets.
2: All right, hello everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is the Think and Reimagined podcast. It's the first live recording for the year. Happy New Year, everyone. And thank you for joining us. And it's also the first time we're opening this podcast to the public. join us via zoom and also participate so if you're watching this online you can get the zoom link and join us changing curves transforming education that was the theme for this year's international day of education and we have followed the debate on what is considered the essential triggers of transformations needed to build more equitable and inclusive education systems that we expect will accelerate progress towards um, SDG4. However, in Nigeria, the challenges are hydra-headed. Even though 7.2% of this year's budget is allocated to the education sector, which is an increase from 5.7 last year, we are still a long way to go in reaching what is the internationally recommended benchmark that countries should spend between 15 and 20% of the national budgets on education. So number one challenge is poor funding. Another one is the fact that Nigeria is the world's capital for countries with the highest number of out-of-school children. As we speak now, at least 10.5 million children are out of school in Nigeria. It's the highest figure in the world. So one third of every Nigerian child is out of school. They say one one out of five of every out of school children in the world is Nigerian. It is terrible. It's estimated that 35% of Nigerian children who attended primary school or who attend primary school do not go on into secondary school. That's um, half of Nigerian children not attending secondary school in 2021. Many of our children are out of school. That's another big challenge. You don't want to think of the impact of COVID-19 on education, the issue of insecurity, the number of schools that have been locked, and the list is endless. However, two names come to mind when you talk about insecurity in schools or the challenges that children who eventually make it to school now face. 12-year-old Sylvester Oromani last year, the parents had the privilege to send it to a private school until they pay close to a millionaire per session. But there are allegations that he was bullied. You know, there were allegations that some people wanted to initiate him into a cult group in school, and he died. The case is currently in court. Perhaps the saddest one was the one this year, a five-year-old Hanifa Abubakar. Pretty girl. I mean, my heart was shattered into pieces because I read that story on the news. She was abducted by a teacher, you know, the proprietor of the school, a hundred thousand was collected from her parents, and she was killed in Kano. It's a very sad tale. Let me introduce my guests to you. Dr. Ama is executive director of Live Abundantly, Miss Abby is the founder of Parties Parenting Issues, and she's also a published author. I we to be sharing more about her new book uh, later this year. We're also joined by Adewale Ayotsoe, who's a lawyer and a personal development coach. He lives outside Nigeria, but is currently joining us from Lagos, Nigeria, where he's enjoying his vacation. Peter Boy is actor, filmmaker. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining this podcast, and happy new year, everyone. I'd like to begin with Dr. Amon. So I have followed you for quite a number of years now, and I understand your passion for children. I'd just like to take your reaction to uh, what appears to be a new form of insecurity experience in school for those children who, whose parents can afford to send them to school. And I'd like you to reference this, uh, uh, the five-year-old Anifa Abubakar story.
0: You, i'm not sure that i got the question within that statement perhaps it wasn't clear can you please repeat it
2: dr Ama, can you hear me now yes now i can i was asking for your reaction to the tale the sad story of anifa's experience in school in kano the 5 year old girl who was kidnapped and killed by her doctor who turned out to be a teacher and proprietor.
0: Well, what can I say? It is, um, it is most unfortunate that uh, this young girl has um, lost her life. So I'll get back to
2: Dr. Ama. I'm going to push this to Miss Abby. Ms. Abby, you're in London, but I'm sure that you're following developments in Lagos. How do you react to these? Back to back, December and January, we're hearing a very sad tale from Nigerian schools. What kind of call does it strike with you?
3: Thank you, Nifemi. Um, both cases of uh, Sylvester and Hanifa are very sad indeed. And um, of course, we know Sylvester or Romani's case was the first case, and it was widely publicized on Instagram and all the social media platforms. Um, Hanifa's case is newer. So I have less information about that. Um, but with regards to Hanifa's case that I actually want Dr. Amma to, to speak on this one. So maybe I should take the Sylvester case and, and talk about that. Um, there was a tussle in the case, um, pushing forth and back the blame and the fault lines between you know, the parents and the school. But the reality is um, a school acts in local parentis of a child, in the place of a child. That means that they should make decisions in the interest of the child only. So if there are cases of bullying in the school, um, they should react as a parent would do. It's like two siblings fighting, you know, parts of the fight and tell them off and counsel them and talk, talk to them and um, advise them as to what to do. So it's a shame um, that this wasn't addressed at the school, you know because clearly it wasn't a new case of bullying. There must have been um, a history of bullying at the school that was wasn't addressed. From a personal perspective, having worked in the educational sector in Nigeria for many years, what I find is a lot of the teachers are afraid to speak. they're afraid to speak up, they're afraid to lose their jobs, um, they're afraid to deal with the issues. They'd rather sweep everything under the carpet. Um, in the case where as a teacher, you notice that a child has some scars or some uh, you know, evidence signs of abuse, you're supposed to immediately alert the school authorities who would call in the parents and should deal with this. So maybe in Sylvester's case, I don't know the exact details of what happened. But if he was in class, the class teacher would have known the child was in pain. The child uh, wouldn't have been able to concentrate or move around properly. Um, if he was in the sick bay, the parent should have been called immediately or the child should have been taken immediately to the hospital. So there's an indemnity form that is signed in, by the parents when a child joins a school that says that the school has authority to take the child to a hospital if there's an accident. So if it was indeed a football accident, uh, there's a broken bone or a fracture or uh, anything, the child should be immediately transported to the hospital. It shouldn't be the case where the school is calling the parents to transport the child to hospital. So in my opinion, the, the fault doesn't actually lie with the parents in the first instance. First instance, the fault um, lies with the school. So... This brings us to the topic of trauma, where the victims of abuse in a school are being traumatized, and the school itself isn't trauma-informed, so they don't know how to address the issues. The teachers themselves are traumatized. (laughs) I think there's a system, you know, it's, it's a revolving cycle. Unless they get the education, we can't really address the problem. So first of all, I discussed the, push, the pushing forth and back of whose fault it is. In the first instance, it's the school's fault. I, I, it's not in our place to even discuss what happened when the child was taken home. This problem, the inception of the problem began at school. There could also be an issue with, with children not telling parents exactly what is going on at school as well for fear of being unappreciative, for fear of disappointing the parent, that could be that as well. But the issue here is a child was hurt, it was dealt with. And then we can discuss the, the trauma around the situation, the trauma, the underlying trauma, um, the children suffer um, in education institutions.
2: The last we heard from the police before the case was taken to court was that an, an autopsy was carried out and the police is saying that that, that there are no forms of abuse or no form of bullying or beating as alleged by the parents. However, beyond what you've talked about, about what the school should do, I remember that as a student, bullying was a part of education. You know, as a matter of fact, if you go home to report to your parents, they will tell you that you should man up, you know, and that is just for a while, you're also going to become a senior and you will get better. I mean, that was my experience. You know, schooling.
3: Oh, Nifemi, I was in body school for six years. bullying. Nifemi, there are different types of yes. bullying. There's the your short bullying or your skinny bullying. There's the verbal bullying, you know. There's, then there's physical bullying, psychological bullying, like we saw. I think you know that, like we hear of, because I I can't remember where it was, where you know they tell them to do all all manner of things, you know. So they're different, you know. The kind of bullying you're talking about is the character building type that used to be acceptable, but actually now is not acceptable at all. You feel me? Used to be acceptable. Exactly they, the point I was making
2: that um, how. How do we begin to draw a line, you know, particularly when we talk about what is wrong with our school system, um, what, is, what is that thin line? What is that line that we can identify, you know, that must not be crossed? Because now in our hands, in the case of Oromani, you know, we are told that there was a video testimony of him alleging that he was beaten by his, by his colleagues. What kind of changes do you think should happen in that regard?
3: many 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 changes I think every schools need to go back to the drawing board I think the first thing that needs to be done is uh, trauma-informed practice uh, teachers need to know where they're there educators need to know where they're there um, they're primary caregivers to the children and they should um, assume that role you know in in all forms they're not just there to instruct as uh, to deliver education they're also there to nurture the children um, so when you say, where can the line be drawn? I think as of now, there is no line to be drawn. I think everybody must speak positively you know, in school. I know there will be on the playground, as I said, you're short, you're tall, you're skinny, you know, children will always be children, you know? Um, but then they children must be taught also that if something sits uncomfortably with them, they must report it. Because it goes from skinny or this to you don't have this, you don't have that. Your parents are this, your, your tribe is this. You know, it could go on and on and on. So when the child doesn't feel comfortable, then the child should report. But the children will not report if nothing is being done. So the reporting as well. And then here we talk about safeguarding, you know. So safeguarding practice must be established in schools in Nigeria and I'd like Dr. Amo to come in because she's quite an authority on safeguarding, you know, but safeguarding is a lot to do with not just the legal aspects of safeguarding, you know, how do you yeah. port to the right authorities or to the right people? How do you come together as a team to address the problem um, to safeguard to the child? to guard the child safely. I think that's the easiest way for me to explain safeguarding.
2: Well, let me hear Mr. Peter Boyu out on this. I just read a comment saying that no form of bullying is allowed in the school or should be allowed. Um, And you're also saying that the teachers are not giving a good example to students in Nigeria uh, when they get away with flogging and punishing their students. I remember that we had... You know, we had an event sponsored by Leave Abundantly a couple of years ago. And yes. even though flogging has been abolished in Lagos State, I asked the students if their teachers still beat them. And many of them answered in the affirmative. This is Africa, by the way, where you know we beat our children. I mean, that's very controversial, but we spank. It is part of the way we raise our children. But moving forward, given you know, the complications that we have suffered in the past year, and many of such incidences and instances, uh, what would you say has to be done differently, particularly in an area where students or, or we have students leave in school and the kind of supervision that we have is not as airtight as it should be? Um,
4: well, like, like I was um, sending the message no form of bullying should be acceptable, be it verbal or um, physical or mental or what you want to call it, because abuse is abuse, bullying is bullying. There's no big um, bullying and little bullying. All bullying affects children the same way. And in the instance of the two students we're talking about, those were extreme cases of violence. Some of these schools are actually um, abuse. I don't call it bu- bullying. I call it abuse. When you take a child and you flog that child and they screaming and people are holding the child down, that is, not, that is not bullying. That is not punishment. That is abuse. And I think it starts from the teachers because if it is acceptable to the teachers. Then the students, of course, are going to do it. I was speaking with some students a um, few weeks back and one of them told me, oh, I'm now a senior student. So I'm going to do What was done to me. And for girls, I'll tell them to kneel down. But for boys, they're gonna do the plank and they're gonna do it for an hour. And I'm like, do you know what you're saying? He's like, well, they did it to me, so I'm gonna do it back. So the the narrative has to change. It has it has to be just like Ms. Abby said, the rules just have to be taken back to the drawing board and they have to be enforced. Because these two cases we're talking about, they're just not in isolation. This is happening every single day. It just might not be in the um, social media or in the news, but it's happening. It's not an isolated incident. So I think we should really go back to the drawing board and pay attention. And as parents, we should speak of, if your child comes home with bruises and um, injury, or is not behaving the way he or she should, you should ask questions and then take it up and confront those teachers. Be, even though we're in Africa, it doesn't matter, abuse is abuse because you grow up thinking in that way, it was done to me, so now I'm gonna do it back. So I believe yes, um, we in Africa, but if we can change with social media, we can change with punishment, we can change with the times, it's not acceptable as far as I'm concerned.
2: Let me bring Wale into this conversation. You've had the privilege to study both in Nigeria and outside Nigeria. Perhaps you can help us draw the parallel. Um, when you move from you know, secondary school here to the university, it goes beyond you know, being bullied by your colleagues or being physically bullied by your teacher. It's also the kind of fear and respect that the institution demands that you have for Your lecturers and your professors. And it gets to a point where you even, you know, you dread looking them in the eyes to question their method of their system. How different is that system, uh, for instance, in the US? And what do you think Nigeria can learn?
5: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Nathan. That is a distinctive difference between the education sector in Nigeria and the education sector outside of Nigeria. And that is because the education sector in Nigeria is built on fear. Um, you have to fear your teachers. You have to fear your professors. Um, and, and it also comes down to the fact that many of the people today that we have in education sectors in Nigeria never started at a correctly teachers. So a lot of these people who are teachers are frustrated because they couldn't find another job. So somebody who's already frustrated coming into uh, a profession that is extremely delicate because these are people's lives that are being played in your hands. Other kids and primary school are kids in secondary school, or kids in university, the fact still remains that you're supposed to be the shining light for them in that darkest moment, guide them, lead them, teach them, nurture them and mentor them. But a lot of these teachers themselves actually need guidance, teaching, mentoring, and everything in between. So, The problem with that is when you have people who only start teaching as a means of, I just need to pay my bills. So even when kids does something that, um, kids are gonna be kids, where you're supposed to uh, introduce that level of expertise and the experience that you've gathered over the years to help them navigate those challenges. The next thing is, you know what, I am gonna beat you. And I I always ask that question like, how does it even make sense when, you beating on somebody that doesn't even understand the gravity of what they've done. What you end up doing is you kill their self-confidence, you kill their morale. And I always say this that every broken adult you see today started from childhood. so that is that is the first one. in, in some of differences. Uh, a very good example for me was one of the first culture shock I experienced when i when I moved outside of Nigeria to study. A professor of ours at the beginning of the semester said the class is not going to require any kind of examination. It's just more about attendance. But as the class progressed, she noticed that uh, many people are not showing up for the class. So one day she said, you know what? I'm going to turn this at the end of the semester. You guys are going to have an exam. And some of my Finnish friends, Swedish friends, went to the dean office to protest and said, no, this is unacceptable. We had an agreement at the beginning of the semester. And she's about to go give that contract. I'm somebody from Nigeria. I didn't join the group. i stay back just in case if she, if she decides she wants to punish everybody, I can easily say, hey, listen, I am not one of them. But it's it also come down to a lot of Nigerians who stay outside of Nigeria today. They've been conditioned not to speak up for themselves even when things are wrong. And then we always say, you know what, just living in doesn't. But that is because our education system has never empowered us in such a way where Speaking up is acceptable. Challenging the telescope is acceptable. Saying that this, this doesn't make sense, this doesn't look right, is acceptable. The moment you speak up, then you, you target as rude, you you, you target as rebellious. And then all it takes is one teacher to go into the staff room and say, while well, is rebellious, then every teacher is going to turn their highest on it. So, but just like uh, the rest of the panelists on the conversation as, as rightly mentioned, one of the main issues we have today is even the teachers themselves believe that abuse and bullying is, is okay. So when the people who are supposed to know better don't know better, then it, that's, a, that's a dangerous slope. And just as Peter has mentioned, uh, the two cases you have seen in the news recently is just the one that we saw in the news. What about a thousand and one other cases that have gone, that, that gone undetected? Growing up, I had the privilege of growing up in homes with my parents were teachers. And uh, I remembered when I was in high school, one of the teachers beat me because it felt like as a teacher kid, I should know better. And it beat me that my back was bleeding. And when my dad saw it, oh, it was the last time anybody tried to do that. My dad always said, if he does something wrong, I alone have the right to kill him if I want to. So, but it's not every parent. And that's another issue. Also, parents as dedicated parents who to the hand of teachers. Many parents are not involved in their kids' lives. Many parents feel like, you must have pay your school fees. I feed you, I close you, I root like I rule you.
2: Mm.
5: I, my, my job is done. If parents are more involved in what is going on in their kids' lives, then they can create a safe environment where they can speak up and they can say, oh, I was being touched by my teacher. There are so many girls today in high school. We, we're just talking about the ones that are being bullied. There are so many girls today in high school that are been sexually aroused by their teachers, but they never have the confidence to speak up to their parents because the question is, who is even going to believe that? Who do you want to believe? A 17 year old girl or a teacher with a 45-year-old? So until we start getting comfortable, having this uncomfortable conversation, I don't think we're actually serious in making a significant, you anyway. You are listening to Thinking
2: Reimagined, sponsored by Allied Empowerment. Let me just ask Ms. Abby uh, what you consider to be the standard safety guidelines that schools should have based on your experience, you know, as an educationist in the United Kingdom. Uh, I heard someone on the panel say that um, there's there's a sense to which parents just abandon their children and say, well, I'm paying your school fees, so the school should have should take You know, 100% responsibility for you. And that's what we do also in this part of the world where we're so busy that we just send our children to boarding schools and we expect that, you know, the school takes 100% responsibility for them. But how much of safety guidelines and what do you think is the standard that we must begin to buy?
3: Thank you, Nifemi. So um, I wanted to, I'll talk backwards. You said uh, we send them to boarding schools in Nigeria. I think there's a boarding school culture all over the world in the US, in Britain, all over. But the biggest difference is that in the West, the hope is that we, the belief and the hope is that we do not leave the parenting to the school. As a parent, you have your role to play and the school has its role to play. You know, As a parent, I might not be able to teach the periodic table But i can teach my children manners i can teach them um, etiquette i can teach them about my culture and all these things you know so a a child is um you know the success of a child is built on the uh, co-parenting you know the school doing their part and the parent actually doing their part and it's 75 percent actually the parents the children are not in school every day they have their holidays but that's something else to do with parenting so parents should please never leave uh, the parenting to the teachers um, or to the school. I wanted to uh, address one or two things in, in talking about what we should do in terms of the drawing board. There needs to be a cultural mind shift because a lot of people, as um, Uncle Peter said and Wally said, they don't understand what abuse means. Okay, the word abuse. So, and um, to be honest, what one sees as abuse, another might not see as abuse. But when it comes to children, we must all see abuse as being the same. Um, When you train to become a teacher, you already know that you are called to teach. You know that you want to teach. Just like if you want to become a professional artist, you already know that you're good at art. You don't just say you want to become a professional artist and have a gallery and have shows if you can't draw. So, but the problem in Nigeria is many people, as Wally has said, and Uncle Peters, that they've come into the educational workforce and out of frustration, there's nothing else, you know, the private schools are looking for teachers, there's schools on every street corner, they are not called to teach, they don't know that it involves a lot more than just standing in front of a blackboard, in fact, a good teacher doesn't even need a blackboard, to be honest, you know, can teach anyhow, anywhere, so The reality is, you know, the parts of one of the things that needs to be addressed is who are we employing to teach? Can we encourage those who actually have a natural calling to come out and say, I want to teach? Because some people are embarrassed when they they have this calling to be a teacher and they feel that people will look down on them, will say, "Ah, is that what you want to do, teacher care? You know, Uh, just like um, in all creative professions, you know, they're often told not to do that, to leave it, and to pursue another area, um, another profession, encouraging those that do have the ability to teach and uh, desire to teach. Then when I'm talking about cultural mind shift, I'm talking about cultural mind shift when it comes to abuse, what abuse means. In certain societies, it comes part and parcel of that society. Abuse comes as part and parcel of that society. Don't talk. Just take it, manage it. This is what it's like. You know, um, this is what you have to put up with. But in other cultures, progressive cultures, abuse is abuse. Whether a teacher shouted on you, is ab- a teacher shouting on you is abuse. A teacher keeping you behind for no reason to tell you off is abuse. So it it's, it's not something we can isolate and say, oh, yeah. we need to do this just for education. We need to start inculcating, educating people, enlightening them, letting them know that you can't even say, you know, when when it came to the Sylvester case, a lot of people were talking about abuse and bullying. And I thought a lot of people are bullying their children at home and possibly being abusive as well. You're talking about first child, you're my first child, you must do this. You're the last child, you must do this. What is all this about the positioning of children? For example, that is abuse in itself, saying you're the first child, you get the biggest meat. You're the youngest child, so you get the (laughs) smallest, you know. (laughs) Or you're the youngest child, you only wear pass-me-downs, for example. You're the oldest Mm -hmm. one, you know. All these things need to be addressed, and it's all part of cultural issues that affect our educational system. You know, when when it comes to corporal punishment, beating children in schools, this used to happen in the UK. This used to happen all over the world where children would be caned, But soon enough, they realize the psychological uh, damage, not just the physical damage, the psychological damage it does to children, and they quickly put an end to it. You know, and that must be taken into consideration. So we cannot say they cannot be children in school, and we're still the people are beating children at home, people are punishing children at home. So it needs to be a wholesome change throughout yeah. in our homes and, and in the society as well.
2: And we have a a long way to go. I remember. There was a story from AKT where a student had taken her teacher to court. Can't remember precisely what happened, whether the teacher had beaten her or shouted at her. It was a long process, but um eventually the, the teacher won, you know. Um, or like what you expect would happen if you were in the US. I can't remember the specificity of the story, but I remember that the the child was asked to, I think, to apologize. Or I think she didn't get what she wanted, even in the court of law. So it's very complicated in this part of the world. I'm told Dr. Amma is back. We haven't heard from her at all. So I'm just going to allow her to react to some of the things that we talked about. Dr. Amma.
0: Thank you, Nifemi. And I apologize, everyone. But I really have missed much of the conversation for due to technical um, difficulties. But I did hear a, just a little bit of what... Um, Abby was stating. um, So hopefully, I am in line with the general conversation today. Um, And I heard a question that Nifami had posed earlier. Um, It is of my opinion that we do not understand what entails abuse. And until we begin to recognize the impact of abuse on people's lives, whether it's physical abuse, sexual abuse, name it, we do not begin to deal with the long-term trauma that abuse causes. And uh, things need to change for a society to progress. Um, In Nigeria, we have people who are referred to as teachers But I am not of the opinion that many of these people even understand what it means to be an educationist. They, in many cases, do not have the qualifications. There is no follow up training as required elsewhere. And unfortunately, they defer to teaching because they have not been able to secure um, placement in, in other professions. That is not what teaching is about. You are gifted with the ability of impacting knowledge on another person, of developing a person, of helping them to grow and be part of society. And if you then abuse that by um, mistreating, denying people their rights, then you are then responsible for the damage that is caused which they then go on to perpetrate later on in life. Um, I am of the opinion that there are many reasons why the educational system in Nigeria needs to be revamped, whether it's financial, whether it's training, whether it's parent participation, whether it's t- stakeholders being responsible, whether it's um, having the right tools, you know, that, that teaching aids. Um, then again, a good teacher can teach without all these teaching aids. But you need the teaching aids. You need the instruction. You need to understand what it means to bring children into a place or adults who are learning to impact knowledge and for it to be of use. So there are many things that are going on here. We've got corruption, which affects corruption. It just affects everything that's going on. Um, yesterday, I got some information about a school where they were. They decided that they were going to enforce a uniform um requirement or a new uniform requirement to be honest they now decided we're going to have a new uniform requirement and the children who were dropped off by their parents were traumatized because they were sent home or they were having the, the girls were having the hair cut it, it was just very troubling what was going on. That is not your role as a teacher and really and truly schools do sign an indemnity that limits what they can do to children. And in Nigeria, there is a Child Rights Act, which has not been enacted by all states, but it does state there how you treat children within school settings. And it's unfortunate that the student who was in that state you mentioned and flogged, lost her case because if the law says you should not be flogging children, or met in our capital punishment, then you really should not. But this is a country where there are rules and laws, but nobody really pays attention to them. And they are applied um, as, um, what's the word, indiscriminatory. That's the word I'm looking for. So I don't know if I've answered the questions um, because I've come in at the tail end, but I do think that there's a lot that needs to be done to improve the educational system in Nigeria. And it's going to require all stakeholders be involved in the process, actively involved in the process. And there comes a time when we have to understand what is the real role of education? Because when we understand the real role of education, then we can do a better job of educating and helping children to learn, to learn the skills and behaviors that make them active, productive members of society, that's a long term range. Thank you. Absolutely,
2: Dr. Anna. Um, we'll have um, some reactions from uh, those who are joining us by Zoom. Sakurat Kuti saying policies on abuse in the educational sector need to be strengthened across schools and organisations, and she's also saying that there is need to provide professional development for educators to improve their teaching standards and hold them accountable for their actions. Parents should be encouraged to be involved in the development of their students, so their children, and also provide consistent workshops for parents. Thank you, Sekharat, for your very incisive contribution. You you can drop your questions if you're on Zoom on. um, You can send a message a general message with your questions or your contributions. We just have about five more minutes for this podcast. All right, so let me go to Uncle Peter. I mean, Peter Amamboyi is fondly called Uncle P. I think I should adopt that name, Uncle P. (laughs) (laughs) I I know that you also deal with a lot of children. I was having a conversation with Wally earlier about how um, non-practical the education system is in Nigeria. You know, there was a time we had grammar school because we needed grammar. But we need more than grammar now. We need proficiency. We need tech. We need, you know, we need leadership uh, trainings. We have practical needs. So we are saying you have to turn polytechnics into universities. But we also need polytechnics. We need, when I was in secondary school, we used to have workshops we used to have intro tech you know as a subject we don't seem to have all those very needed handsome schemes again as options for young people it is perhaps why we have hundreds of thousands of them graduating now and their only hope is to get a nine-to-five job how do you think that can change and i'm not talking about how government can change that i'm saying how do you think you know, ordinary people can change their approach to education in such a way that they are paying for something they need and something that will indeed be beneficiary for them.
4: Well, um, when you talk about education, the educational system has to change first and foremost. Like everybody on the panel has been saying, accountability, Dr. Ama mentioned, what is the education? Um, But you were talking about grammar school and grammar and all that. Now, all students are talking about is getting by, oh, I have to settle my lecture. I have to get my papers. um, I need money to get my exam. That is not education. Education has just turned totally, I don't even have the words for it. So the educational system first has to change and has to go back to the drawing board. They have to be accountable for education and not business or all the corrupt, whatever. Universities are like, I don't even want to bring that subject now because half of the university graduates cannot make a complete sentence. T-H-E is not the same as D-A-Y. So that, I don't know if we're breeding semi-illiterates or what is going on with the educational system, but education has to go back to the drawing board, has to change, has to be accountable, it's not about going to a Montessori crash school and all those labels, it's about education. Both formal home education, like Ms. Abby said, it's not just um, teaching them math and physics or English. Education starts at home. Parents should be accountable. Teachers should be accountable. The students should be accountable because they should have good examples. I can go on and on and on, but I think we have to go back to the drawing board. Period.
2: Absolutely. The challenge here in Africa and every other developing country, Wale, is that education is expensive, particularly quality education. You know, number one, it is expensive. Uh, Number two is that um, there's also a lot of attention on your qualification as against what you have the capacity to do. But I like to talk to younger people who have internet and enabled devices, you know, perhaps the importance of a tool like Google, um, the importance of continuous learning and the fact that you can learn beyond the four walls of a school. Uh, what do you think has to change in young people who seem to think that Education is far-reaching, and that perhaps they even need to leave Nigeria to be able to, you know, to be able to get the qualification needed for the next level.
5: Uh, that's a very good question, and uh, my response is going to come back to it. a summation of what each um, of the speakers has, has rightly mentioned. I think the first thing is the, mind, is the mindset shift mindset thinking, I have to go through schools and then, uh, oh, guess what now? I'm a lawyer, or guess what, I'm an engineer. But there is a disconnect between what the university or the colleges are teaching and what the workplace actually requires. We're still operating with the 1960s syllabuses that we have not awoken ourselves to the reality of 21st century. And now for the students. there is a sense of responsibility and ownership you have to take for your life. Uh, as much as we, right here, right now, we can talk about uh, the education system itself, the, the syllabuses, and all of that. But we cannot exclude the students themselves whose life is at the center of this conversation. Uh, for me, as an example, I find myself in a position in a situation where all I have is just A, B, and C. I don't have the rest of the week. It was my responsibility, taking individual ownership for my life and for my career that I was able to like fill the rest of the gaps along the way. So there's a sense of ownership that needs to happen. Um, And also we live in a society, especially in Nigeria. We live in a society that celebrates certifications more than the practical knowledge you can bring on the field. So part of it also comes down to we were changing and um, evaluating how we think. A lot of us today, we want to hire people. When we look, the first we're going to look how many qualifications does this person have? I was giving giving me an example earlier about um, a a young man I hired to help me manage part of my program in Africa. And he has has a whole lot of certification, believe me. But when he came on job, this is somebody with a master's degree and every other certification in between. He can't write a single memo. And that is the least part of his job. And that is when I knew I'm in for trouble. And I started asking the rest of my colleagues who have had the opportunity and the privilege of working within the African space. And they started saying like, oh, you didn't get the memo. In Africa, it's certification first. Because even when they want to hire, that's the first thing people look at. And I was like, what about the skill itself you bring to the job? They said, well, a lot of people don't look at that. So I think if, if our university curriculums and syllabuses can go back to a way where it breached the gap, which what I love to call, uh, part of the that was a project I did a couple of years ago, which is called classroom to boardroom. If we can find the sweet spot between the classroom transition to the boardroom transitioning, we will, will empower and strengthen our workforce. But if we keep having gabbage in gabbage out approach, there is today in every sector of Nigeria, there is what I call the Nigerian factor. You see people sitting in high positions, holding key positions, and they are clueless are clueless. So when we take that back, it can help us when we bridge that gap between the syllabus and also when students begin to understand that I can be somewhere in Lagos and I have the opportunity to have online learning at a university in South Africa. There's a university in, in Chicago. But we should do that, not because I want to be able to tell somebody, oh, you know what? I graduated from the University of Chicago. We should do that because I want to acquire the knowledge and I want to be able to translate what I've learned into a practical society. Until we do, we do those two things, I, I, I don't think
2: we're ready. Absolutely. Adewale Ayotoye, thank you so much for your contribution. Lawyer. Mm-hmm personal development coach. Miss Abby is founder of Parties, us Life in London. Dr. Ama is a Lagos. That's why she's having a network meltdown. <laughs> That's a joke. This was a legalist anyways. Um, Peter Almond Boyo, actor, filmmaker. I think we had a great conversation today. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. And I want to say a very big thank you to everyone who's joined us on Zoom. I can see Jerry Rhymes. It's a curate, Kuti, Christopher Fakeye, and a host of others that I can't see from my device. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode. I am Nifemi Okuntoye.
0: This has been a Thinking Reimagined podcast.
1: The executive producer is Dr. Ama, co-producer Peter Aman Boyle.
0: And it is moderated by Nifemi Okuntoye. The podcast is edited by Nelkin and supervised by Dune Sokwang.
1: Thinking re emphasizes the importance of transformational conversations which have as their aim the bringing about of the rich diversity of thoughts and most importantly, powerful and applicable effective solutions and change.
0: The views, opinions and contributions of the panelists are exclusively theirs and do not reflect the opinions of Thinking Reimagined producers or personnel. Thank Thank you for listening and and we we hope hope you have enjoyed enjoyed this episode. We invite you to subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play and other outlets.
1: We look forward to presenting another riveting episode next week.
0: Thinking Reimagined Podcasts is produced by live abundantly
1: we welcome your thoughts and invite you to visit our website leavesabundantly.com
0: or you can follow us on social media and live abundantly 8. thinking Think re-imagined,
1: reimagined
0: changing, changing the, mindset
1: the mindset for a better global society, global society.